I'm Erin. I'm Sarah. I'm Megan. And this is the Tribbles and Transporters podcast. You could write about something in science fiction. So I dreamed up the Star Trek idea so that I could comment on man and society. The whole show was an attempt to say that humanity will reach maturity and wisdom on the day that it begins not just to tolerate, but to take a special delight in differences in ideas and differences in life forms. You know the greatest danger facing us is ourselves and a rational fear of the unknown. There's no such thing as the unknown. Only things temporarily hidden, temporarily not understood. Open your mind to the past, art, history, philosophy, and all this may mean something. There comes a time in every man's life when he must stop thinking and start doing. Fear only exists for one purpose, to be conquered. We're going to stumble, make mistakes, I'm sure, more than a few before we find our footing. But we're going to learn from those mistakes. That's what being human is all about. The heart of real science fiction is stories about people and ideas. Because it says it's not all over, it's not going to go up in smoke, we're going to make it. Because it says the human adventure has just begun. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 42 of the Tribbles and Transporters podcast. We are three Chucky gals who grew up in the 90s and fell in love with Star Trek for many of the reasons you just heard. Even though we consider ourselves Trekkies, there's a lot of Star Trek we've never seen before, which is why we're cycling through all of the episodes of the completed series, learning about all the cool behind-the-scenes stuff, and talking about our reactions to each episode. We'll also be tackling topics within the Star Trek universe and do interviews with occasional guests. Today's episode is all about past prologue from Beat Space Nine. If you're listening for the first time, we want to let you know very quickly who we are. My name is Megan, and I have been a lifelong Star Trek fan. Deep Space Nine is my favorite, so I'm very excited. We're talking about one of their episodes today, but Next Generation is very near and dear to my heart. I also watched Voyager and some of Enterprise. I think I've seen more of the original series than I think I have. But this has been great to uh, do this podcast, to be able to go back through and see episodes that I've seen before and brand new ones. All right. And I am Erin. I am mainly a Voyager fan, although I also watched all of TNG and Deep Space Nine um, as they were airing and uh, bits and pieces uh, reruns over the years. I've also seen uh, some episodes of the original series, but I've not seen any of Enterprise except what we've watched for the podcast. So I've been really enjoying diving into a new to me series. I'm also excited to get into some more Deep Space Nine since for a while there, it was my favorite uh, series. And I, I kind of go back and forth between Deep Space Nine and Voyager. And I'm Sarah. I'm the resident TNG fan on this podcast and I've not seen most of Deep Space Nine. I've seen a little bit of the last couple of seasons of it and maybe a handful of episodes here or there, but Past Prologue is brand new to me. I've never seen this episode before, so this will be my first time um, watching it and discussing it. 
But before we move any further along in the podcast, we want to give you a heads up on what to expect for the rest of the episode. We're going to start out with our traditional music challenge, and then we're going to move into a past prologue recap where we give you just a quick summary of the episode in case you haven't seen it before or you may have forgotten what it was about. Then we're going to do our quick what did you think segment where we give you our kind of first impressions of the episode. Then we're going to do our quiz where we quiz each other on the episode to see who was paying the closer attention. We're going to do a little bit of behind-the-scenes trivia as well, and then we'll get into the episode discussion and then cap it off with your listener feedback. But first, we're going to move into the music challenge. If this is your first time listening, this is where I have chosen a random clip of music from somewhere in Star Trek, and Megan and Aaron have to figure out where it's from. And this is just kind of our way of paying homage to Star Trek music because we love it. We think it's some of the best music out there. And uh, so are you guys ready for this music challenge? Give it a shot. <laughs> sure. Okay. <laughs> it's a rhetorical question every week that I ask. Yeah. <laughs> Am I ready? Who knows? Probably not. sounded like Tinkerbell and Peter Pan <laughs> at the beginning of it. <laughs> what? <laughs> this is just where my mind went. It's like, what is this? Okay. Well, I haven't nailed down exactly where I think it's from, except that I'm pretty sure it's from an or- original series movie. Now I'm going to have to think about it some more to figure out which one, if that helps you at all, Megan. Nope. <laughs> Although I did hear the Star Trek theme can start playing underneath that towards the end. Yeah, and I'm trying to think that was one of the things that led me to feel like it's an original series movie was just the the way that that came in. And I'm trying to think which movie that would have been in. And Sarah's not even saying anything to let us know for close. This is no. awesome. <laughs> I had a feeling she wouldn't say anything when I made a statement like that. <laughs> I thought I'd just leave you hanging this time and see if you got it. Yeah. I mean, it does sound like it's something that could have come from the very first movie from the original motion picture because it has that fanciful, let's show off the new mm. Enterprise or maybe the wonder of V'ger and space. And But I don't, yeah. I, I don't know. No, I that's I'm kind of going back and forth between the motion picture and like the very end of Wrath of Khan into Search for Spock sort of thing. Sarah, are we even close? <laughs> She's not going to tell us that. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I will say you guys are close. Yeah. Okay. My first inclination was search for Spock, something on the Genesis planet. So I will go with that as my guess. Megan, do you agree with that or no? No, I think I'm going to stick with my original guess of being in the motion picture. Well, Erin, you should get used to going with Megan's guesses yeah. from now on because she's usually right. Yeah. It's, that's been the pattern over the past <laughs> few times, it seems like. This is from the motion picture. It is All from right. a track called Floating Office. So you're probably right, Megan, that is when they were showing off the new Enterprise at some point. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> no, I, no, I was... I'm- I would not have gone down the movie route at all if you had not said (laughs) 
wasn't oh, tested yeah. that in the beginning. So no, I was. I was. I am not surprised at all that it's from the motion picture. Um, I only went with uh, search for Spock because it was the first thing that popped into my head, and I thought I usually talk myself out of answers that are closer than what I talk myself into. So I went with my first guess, but yeah, I'm not surprised at all that that's from motion picture. While the last Cardassian on the station, Garrick the tailor tries to become friends with Dr. Bashir, a Bajoran vessel approaches the station at high speed, followed by a Cardassian warship. The Bajoran, Tana Los, gets beamed onto Deep Space Nine just in time before his ship is destroyed and he asks for asylum. Benjamin Sisko seems reluctant, but Major Kira Norris knows him. He is a member of the Kone Ma, a terrorist organization fighting against Cardassia, but also accused of crimes against Bajor. Upon his promise that he no longer wants to be a Kone Ma, Sisko decides not to hand him over to the Cardassians, while Kira works on getting amnesty from the Bajoran government for the Kone Ma members. Then we have two familiar faces, Klingon outcasts Lursa and Bator, a arrive at the station. So, what did you guys think of this episode? Well, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Well, personally, um, I, I like the story of this episode. It really throws us deep into some of the issues going on after the Cardassian occupation. We get a fair amount of background on Kira. We get a little bit of understanding on what the the provisional government is trying to do and how some of the fight against the Cardassians has gone up to this point. Uh, I thought it was a very, very strong episode for a lot of the characters. And then there was all this really awkward stuff with Dr. Bashir. <laughs> you know, while it was fun and it's always intriguing to see Garrick in, in these episodes, I, I just kind of cringed a little bit on some of those scenes and how um, silly they seem now watching them uh, quite a few years after I watched them last. It, it was definitely a fun and interesting episode to watch. I thought it was kind of a classic Star Trek episode as far as the plot went. I did think it was a good character episode for uh, Kira, and we got to see some character insights from a lot of different ones. So my favorite part of this episode was the uh, character choice that Kira had to make between loyalty to the Federation and to Bajor. So hitting that really early on in the series, I think, was important for her and kind of getting to know her better. The Bashir stuff, uh, I don't know DS9 well enough or his character well enough to know whether it was super awkward or not, as Aaron pointed out. But I did get that vibe that it was kind of off character for him, the way he was acting. So yeah, I guess I would kind of agree with Aaron a little bit on that part of it. But overall, I thought it was a pretty average episode for Star Trek. Yeah, for me, it had actually been a long time since I'd seen this episode. I've rewatched the series several times, but Normally when I go back to watch it, I don't always go back to the very first season. So I had forgotten a lot of things that were in this episode. So it was fun for me to revisit it. And I enjoyed this episode again for the same reasons that you guys did to um, see the expansion of this new setting for Star Trek and uh, seeing how everyone's figuring out their characters and how their characters interact with each other. 
So for me, this was a, a fun episode to watch. It was um, fun to watch again. It was great to see Garrick on there. Garrick became one of my favorite reoccurring characters for the show. So yeah, I enjoyed this one. Awesome. All right. So that leads us into our quiz. Can't you pay attention? Write down all those star dates. No more than a kitten. Which of the hosts knows more about the show? This is where we each ask each other five questions, and we're going to see which one of us was paying the closest attention while watching the episode. We've shown that uh, we will pick tiny little details, we'll pick some obvious stuff, it's going to be all across the board. So, you guys can play along with us, see how your score stacks up against ours. Uh, We will also have a listener question at the end, so this question will be something from the episode, and it will be posted on social media. When you answer the question over there, we add your name to the list of correct answers if you get it right, and uh, we will read those out on the, uh, the next episode. So as it stands, our rankings as far as who's won how many quizzes, I have won six quizzes, Sarah has won three, and Megan has run four. We always like to try and randomize who goes first, And the way we do that is with an old-fashioned die. I have a six-sided die here in my hand, and I've assigned numbers to each of us, and so we'll see who goes first. Sarah, you go first. That die is not any more random than your spinner was. (laughs) No, probably not. (laughs) If Erin goes next and I go last again, we're going to know it's rigged. (laughs) I'm trying, guys. I'm sorry. Okay, we're going to start with a kind of easy one for question number one. Okay. In the first scene where we see Bashir at the table in whatever the place was called that he was in, what color were the flowers on the table in front of him? <laughs> that is literally my first note. <laughs> okay. my, my, that is my first note, and my first question was related to this. So. <laughs> okay. It was like a blue-purple flower. Yes, they are purple. Okay, yeah, that is right. Question number two. When we see the interior of Tana's room, there is a desk in his room. What is on that desk? Hmm. The only thing I remember is like some kind of square, like a box <laughs> type thing. I'm going to make a guess that there was a, a, a pad on the desk. Okay. Uh, Megan, I'll give it to you. It was like a small gray box. So Okay. Okay, let's see here. Question number three. At one point during the scene where Kira has gone in to talk to Odo about her decision, we see a couple of security cameras on the back wall. At one point, we see something on the security camera. What is that? I had this written down as a a potential question, so I think I know what you're referring to. I just remember seeing two people walking down the corridor. Yeah, I saw a Starfleet officer and a Bajoran officer walking together. Okay, you're both right. I've got easy questions for you guys this time. <laughs> <laughs> this this episode was difficult to find obscure questions, I think. It was. This was a hard episode to find questions on for some reason. Okay, we're going to go a little bit harder here. On the sidewall of Odo's office is a large display panel. In the middle, there are four squares arranged in a square shape. What color is the lower left square? Wow. 
<laughs> That's very specific. <laughs> um, I'm going to guess yellow-green. I, I also have to guess, and I'm going to guess maroon. Okay. Um, Megan, I'll give you half a point on there because it was yellow. <laughs> hey, I'll take half a point. Okay. Uh, another harder question because this is the only other one I have <laughs> written down. <laughs> In the scene where Kira is in the shuttle with Tana towards the end of the episode, we see on the display panel the where she's tracking the location of the Cardassian ship. And right above that is a section. What is the heading on that section? I believe I have that <laughs> written down. I do Are not. you serious? Yes. I have no idea. <laughs> I wrote down every major panel heading that I could see, so. <laughs> you want to take a guess, Megan? Oh, I have no idea. Oh, okay. No, she's not going to be able to guess yeah. it. Yeah. I believe, if I've got the right one <laughs> listed, uh, Primary Systems Monitor 451. That is not correct. No. Really? Wow. I must have seen a different that one. That was so specific. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there is that one, but that's not the one that I'm oh, referring to. Is it the spacecraft system's priority allocation? Yes, but that's too late. Oh, <laughs> <Aww, laughs> come on. <laughs> you don't get to guess again. <laughs> okay, well, at the end of the first round of questioning, I think this is correct. Um, Aaron, I have you with two points, and Megan with three and a half. That's what I have as well. Yep. Okay. So now I am rolling the die again. All right, Megan, you get to go next. Yay! <laughs> I'm not last this time. Okay, let's see. Question one. Um, according to the pips on his collar, what is Dr. Bashir's rank in Starfleet? I don't remember looking at the pips on his collar, but I believe I remember what it was when he arrived at Deep Space Nine. I think he's a lieutenant. I'm pretty sure he's lieutenant junior grade. Aaron is correct. Mm. Uh, question number two. According to Dr. Bashir, what injuries did Tana Los have? I don't think I wrote that down. Hmm. Go ahead, Aaron. I don't know this one. I have second degree burns, lacerations, and a minor concussion. That is correct. I'm going to get smoked on this one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm doing a little better now. <laughs> I did not do well on Sarah's questions. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, after Dr. Bashir talked with Garrick the very first time in the episode in the Replimat, he goes to Ops and he talks to several of the senior staff while he's there talking. Chief O'Brien tells Major Kira that a specific part of the station is going to be shut down for maintenance for 48 hours. What part? Is it upper pylon three? That is what I have written down. You were both correct. Yay, I finally have one point. <laughs> Question number four. Who of the main cast did not appear in this episode? Didn't pay specific attention, but I think I know who it would be. Um, shoot. I don't know. Oh, uh, was it Jake? So... I don't that know if I'd give you a half Jake. point or a point. I guess I didn't phrase the, I didn't phrase the question right. Sirach Lofton, you're looking yes. for the actor. No, 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 no. There are actually two <laughs> of the main cast that do not appear in this episode. So Jake Sisko's okay. one. Can you name the other? Huh. 
Oh, Quark. Was Quark in it? I don't remember him being in this. I'm trying to think. I I just automatically assumed he was since there were, I think, some scenes in that area. But yeah, that's the only one that makes any sense. See, I'm having a hard time because I accidentally watched two episodes this week because <laughs> I watched one that Netflix had listed out of order. So I keep getting flashes of scenes from that one. <laughs> and Quark was definitely in that one. You both mm. are correct. It was Jake and Quark. All right. Okay, question number five. Dr. Bashir was told a very specific time to show up in Garrick's tailor shop. What time did he actually show up? Yeah, I think he was like two minutes late, so like 2057. That's what I was going to say. It was 2057. You're both correct. All right, so what I have at the end of that is that Aaron has seven, Sarah has three, and I have three and a half. Yeah. All right, so no rolling to figure out who goes next because it's my turn. All right, and starting off somewhat similarly with question one, uh, when Bashir is examining Tana uh, in the infirmary, the scars on his chest are mentioned, and Bashir mentions that the... um, the newest scar was how old? The Dr. Bashir, Dr. Bashir's time on that? Yes, he mentions um, how old it is. Uh, I think he said two to three years old. I don't remember. Um, <laughs> I don't know, six weeks? I'm going to give it to Megan because it was two and a half years. Okay, well, I was way off on that. <laughs> All right, so question number two. We see Cisco's office a few times in this episode, and there are light sconces on the wall. What shape are they? Man. <laughs> Diamond. Triangle. No, they are circular. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, question number three. Uh, Kira is asking Tana what it would take for more of the Konma to leave and return to Bajor. What does Tana say it will take? Assurances. I have no idea. (laughs) Megan is correct. It is assurances. Question number four. Tana and Kira are arguing, and he calls her a specific uh, title as a bit of a... uh, a jibe or an insult. What was that? Oh man. <sighs> you like to pick these little things out of the dialogue that just I don't even <laughs> register with me. <laughs> yeah. I remember like I remember this happening, but I have no idea what it was. I of being their puppet is gonna be my guess. Oh yeah, now that you say that I remember him saying something. Yeah, but I don't really know. I don't know. All right. Well, he called her their dance instructor. No. Okay, what? so I almost, now that you said that, I remember that. I almost wrote that down. And I should have, and I didn't. Ugh. Yeah. Dance instructor? What kind of insult is that? Basically, he was saying, oh, so you're the one teaching them to down- dance around the truth and, and that sort of thing. So, Oh my god. <laughs> I promise you my last question is not about dialogue. Uh, 
It's actually about uh, near the end of the episode, we see two runabouts uh, after they exit the wormhole. There is a noticeable difference between the two runabouts. What was that difference? It's some kind of like rectangle something on top of one of them. I don't know what it is, and I don't know a better way to describe it, but there was just like this rectangle piece of technology that was on top of one of them. Yeah, now that Megan says that, I'm not going to give myself any credit on this because I wouldn't have known without Megan <laughs> mentioning it. But um, yeah, it looks like a car top carrier <laughs> or something yeah. on top of one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely looks like one of those luggage things on the top of your car. Um, I believe that is a photon bay attachment. So... Hmm. If I'm if I'm remembering correctly from some of my you know technical manual reading years and years and years ago, um, the runabouts only have phasers unless they have that on top. Hmm. But I'm sure somebody will correct me <laughs> if I'm wrong. Hmm. Okay. All right, so that made things very close. I think you won by half a point. By only half a point. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That was very close. Again, there's really nothing new. I mean, Aaron wins like 90% of these <laughs> quizzes, so. Now, our listener question for this episode, past prologue, has to do with when Kira was in ops and she was researching the Kone Ma and their activities. On part of the screen, we see what clearance level is required to look at that information. What was that clearance level? So you will find that question posted over on our social media, and we will have some uh, multiple choice answers there for you. And if you put your answer down in the comments, uh, we will uh, add you to our list of correct guesses for the next episode. All right, guys, we're going to try a picture on this. Let's get everybody one, please. Pictures up. Pictures up. Let's roll sound. Rolling. Rolling. Sound speed. Camera speed. Take two. Mark. And action! All right, so we're going to move into the production details of this episode. We're going to start off in the writer's room, and we have two writers that were credited for this episode. We have Catherine Powers, who was credited for the story, and Peter Allen Fields, who was credited for the teleplay. Now, Peter Allen Fields actually created the character of Garrick and had that little back and forth with Bashir. Catherine Powers also wrote an episode of The Next Generation, one of the most loved episodes called Code of Honor. Actually, I'm just kidding. Everybody seems to hate that episode. <laughs> if you don't know why, then just look it up and you'll understand why. As far as the storyline goes, originally Tana and Kira were supposed to be former lovers, but Michael Piller decided to change that, thinking it was too cliche. And also, Tana was supposed to give up terrorism at the end of the episode and be killed off by the Bajoran people. So Michael Piller had a hand in kind of changing those storylines. And he also suggested that they add Lursa and Beator to kind of bring in the Trek canon into DS9 and kind of tie it more to the previous Trek that had come before it. This episode was actually the third episode filmed, but it aired 
as second after Emissary. It was filmed on Paramount Stages 4, 17, and 18. Winrick Colby was the director, and he's a very famous name in Star Trek as far as directors go. He had directed 16 TNG episodes, 13 DS9, 18 Voyager, and one of Enterprise. So, again, one of the the ones that they uh, brought back quite a bit to direct in Star Trek. Uh, This episode aired on January 10th, 1993. Interestingly enough, it was uh, aired just a month after TNG's Chain of Command, which also featured the Cardassians very heavily. And it was interesting that O'Brien warned Sisko towards the beginning of this episode about the horrors of being captured by the Cardassians and he would have known that from what happened with Picard in Chain of Command. So that was a nice little uh, subtle tie-in with TNG there. Actually, I have a tie-in that was in mine that work goes actually in with Chains of Command. So okay. um, the Cardassian method of torture that's mentioned that Tenelos, the scars that are on his chest um, mm-hmm. from his injuries, is um, this, that method of torture mentioned there is actually the method of torture of the pain-inducing implant that Picard had implanted under his skin and was tortured by in Chains of Command. So that's what that was referencing when they talked about that. Oh, Hmm. I didn't catch that. Okay, so we have quite a few guest stars in this episode to talk about. The most prominent, obviously, is the man who plays Tanalos. Uh, his name is Jeffrey Nordling, and he has actually had quite a large television career. Uh, he started out in 1988 uh, in an episode of Beauty and the Beast, and then he has just been in almost too many uh, TV movies and TV series to uh, go through. But he is best known uh, for playing a character in a um, in a series called Once and Again, and then uh, more recently he was in an episode or he was in a season of Twenty Four as FBI agent Larry Moss. Hmm. Now he worked with lots and lots of Star Trek stars over the years. He was directed by quite a few Star Trek stars, and he worked with a lot of actors. Cross paths with Rosalind Chow, uh, Vaughn Armstrong, who was in this episode, uh, Tim Russ uh, from Voyager, Casey Biggs from Deep Space Nine, Armin Shimmerman, Ethan Phillips. So he was crossing paths with a lot of Star Trek people. Um, he's been directed by Leonard Nimoy and uh, just been in all kinds of things. And I think that kind of shows in his performance as Tana that he's he's very used to playing these these television characters and doing it well. So some of the other um, actors uh, that we see in these episodes, as we mentioned, um, we get some familiar faces with Lursa and Bator. And they were played by the same actresses who played them in TNG. So uh, Gwyneth Walsh and Barbara March. So Gwyneth played uh, Bator, and they both appeared together in um, Star Trek The Next Generation, um, as well as this uh, in Deep Space Nine and in Star Trek Generations. Then we also have um, Susan Bay, 
who she only appears briefly, but she appears as Admiral Rollman, and she appears also in another episode of Deep Space Nine. But she has an interesting history as being a wife of Leonard Nimoy. And then the other uh, actor I mentioned in there is Vaughn Armstrong, and he has played many, many Star Trek characters over the years, largely uh, alien characters. So he's had lots of prosthetics on, been able to play all kinds of different characters, but he's probably best known for um, being a recurring character in Enterprise um, by uh, playing Maxwell Forrest. So he was uh, one of the admirals there that uh, appeared um, and was also a captain at a different uh, different point in Enterprise. That's where I knew him. I knew that he'd played a human role in Star Trek, but I could not remember what it was. That's it. So I do have um, a few more trivia items that really are not related to any particular scene. So in um, this episode, as Aaron mentioned, having Barbara Marsh and Gwyneth Walsh there. They actually really enjoyed um, coming back and working um, as most of the production crew on Deep Space Nine that they worked with actually also worked on Next Generation. So they knew most of the crew and were able to to work with them again. Is that Their only regret was not being able to work with more of the main cast. So in this episode as well, um, which will be interesting when we go to watch episode three, that uh, Nana Visitor requested the change uh, in Kira's hairstyle. So she has the same hairstyle from the emissary and what will be episode three. Um, and then she decided that she didn't think that Kira would be styling her hair that way, that she felt like she was more like a wash and go <laughs> person. So <laughs> requested the hairstyle change. Uh, this episode also uh, first introduces gold pressed latinum. Um, it was referred to as gold a lot um, in this episode, which threw me at first. I was like, gold? <laughs> Why would anybody <laughs> want gold? And then, uh, yeah, then it was gold press latinum. And then um, in the Garrick's clothing shop um, were a lot of costumes from previous Next Generation episodes. And this was also the first episode in Star Trek um, in which no ship named Enterprise appears. Oh, that's an interesting neat little tidbit. It's Dr. Bashir, isn't it? Of course it is. May I introduce myself? Uh, yes, yes, of course. Now, my name is Garrick, a Cardassian by birth, obviously. The only one of us left on this station, as a matter of fact. So, I do appreciate making new friends whenever I can. Now, you are new to this station, I believe. I am, yes. Though, though I understand you've been here quite a while. Ah, you know of me, then. Some people say that you remained on DS9 as the eyes and ears of your fellow Cardassians. You don't say. Doctor, you're not intimating that I'm some sort of spy, are you? All right, we're going to start with the discussion now, and we're going to 
go to the beginning of the episode where Garrick introduces himself to Julian on the promenade, and Bashir excitedly informs some of the senior staff that Garrick has chosen him to spy on. A Cardassian ship <laughs> is chasing a small Bajoran vessel through Bajoran space, and on board is a Bajoran terrorist named Tana. He's beamed onto the station at the last minute before the Cardassians destroy his ship, and he requests political asylum. Also, he and Kira know each other. Yeah, so this is the very beginning of the awkward stuff with uh, Bashir. I just, I always forget just how sort of over the top they made the whole um, Bashir is a new officer and he's all excited about, you know, how things are, are happening to him and all the intrigue and all this kind of stuff and yeah, I just find it a little over the top, which is why I find it a, a little cringy. But um, yeah, you know, it's it's fun. It's just uh, not uh, not what I it, remember it being. So it shocks me. It makes you appreciate where the character went in the show. Yes, for sure. Like his his development, long term development. It, it makes you very much appreciate that. So yeah. Well, then it doesn't take him too much long for them to kind of like, okay, just, just take that little like nervous puppy energy down just a notch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and it doesn't take long and it's like any other uh, TV show and, and things like that, where it does seem to take some of the characters a little while to settle into their groove. Um, some characters come out like really fully fleshed out and stuff like that. And one of those for me is is Kira. Um, so it's funny you mentioned the haircut change. I noticed it in this episode, and I thought, oh, that's better. That's yeah. the Kira I know. Yeah. Um, but as far as her characterization and how she acts and everything, like she seemed so set right from the beginning. You know, she felt to me like a character who's been on this station since the Cardassians left and has been working with this. So I, I've always enjoyed that about the character. Yeah, I got that sense about Kira as well. Um, the Julian thing, I thought that this was kind of like a fun thing to add to the episode. <laughs> this like a little more lighthearted storyline. But um, it did... I think I've seen enough DS9 later on to know that he was acting really out of character to me in this. He he was acting almost like too naive and I I don't know. It just it just felt off to me. Um mm. but again, I don't know his character as well as you guys do. But it was a little fun like side bit that they had going on that they yeah. weaved into the, you know, plot line as well, but I agree with everything you guys said. Julian's stuff was uh, a little strange, and then Kira was pretty solid from the get-go. For me in watching this, it was nice to see and remember the beginning of, um, one, the beginning of Garrick being on the show, um, but mm. to the beginning of what would eventually become a long-time friendship between those two characters. So to see um, how that started... Uh, was fun for me. See, I didn't yeah. know Garrick was on the show this early. He surprised the heck out of me when he showed up. I thought he, that he would came in like really later on towards the uh, Dominion War stuff. Mm -mm. Yeah, and 
Yeah, no, it's interesting was, because he was there early. Yeah, he comes in so early and relatively frequently that it's you'd almost be mistaken in thinking that he's uh, one of the main characters. I mean, if he showed up any more than he does, he would have had to be a main character. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and he is an excellent character. Uh, so. It, it's cool to see the the introduction and he's another character that seemed very like you kind of get where he is which is this nebulous middle ground <laughs> which like he portrayed really well like andrew robinson um is probably my favorite recurring character in deep space nine to to play mm. garrick and to play him out of the shoot um, this way that I, I equate him to the way that um, Colmini played Miles O'Brien and how that character mm. wouldn't have been who he became without Colmini. If it had been another actor, I don't know that he would have been anything other than the transporter chief or a random crew member. He so embodied the, the character of Garrick and brought such life to this character that you're like the, it made you wonder, you know, is he really the Cardassian outcast that has to stay here? Or is he really a spy for the Cardassian government? So, and his nebulous um, background and things like that, <laughs> that you see progress through the series. So like it just, for me, like, I love this character. I was surprised that Bashir just called him out as a spy, like right away. <laughs> yeah. Like, are you sure you want to be <laughs> saying that to him? Yeah. Um, I also liked when uh, Bashir got super excited that he was about to be, you know, spied on by Garrick. Yeah. And um, he runs to Ops, and O'Brien's the first person he goes to, you know, all yeah. excited about yeah. it. And so you see kind of like how they're they're beginning to make those guys like buddies, you know, right away. Yeah. Um, and I also like in this scene how O'Brien is still beaming people out. He's like yes. the one that beams them all out. <laughs> yeah. So. Once a transporter chief, always a transporter chief. Yeah, I had actually written down that the it's neat the connections they're making in this uh, in this episode of just sowing that really brief seed of here's Bashir and O'Brien, just like mm-hmm. that that beginning of oh hey guess what chief, um, and it, it's something that if you're even a a marginal Deep Space Nine fan, you know that those two characters become fast friends. And same thing with Bashir and Garrick. They have a regular lunch date, you know. Um, And that's one of the things that Deep Space Nine does so well, is having these relationships among the characters. And you you get to see the, the very beginnings of those in this episode, which is awesome. I think that's what was so great about Deep Space Nine with it. Um, I know I've talked about this before with it being the first syndicated television or, or um, series or serialized um, mm. instead of being episodic. So it really allowed them to dig into um, the character relationships and al- to allow that to progress from episode to episode more so than they could in, Deep, in Next Generation with it being more episodic. So it's what do these characters do? for this episode theme that we've got going on versus, and you do see long-term um, character growth on, 
all these series, but it was much more intentional, I think, for Deep Space Nine initially than it was for the other series. All right, so moving on, the Cardassian ship commander asks Sisko to turn Tana over to him, but Sisko refuses, saying that he's going to consider the asylum request. And Kira asks Sisko not to turn over Tana to the Cardassians, and Sisko calls out her loyalty into question. Um, Kira goes behind Sisko's back and informs Starfleet Command that he may be uh, not fully informed on this decision. Meanwhile, Tana manages to convince Kira that he's given up the life of the Kalma and accuses her of going soft when she should be fighting for Bajor. I thought it was interesting when you mentioned that it was originally scripted for Tana to be a um, former lover of Kira. And I'm really glad they changed that mm-hmm. because that was something that I thought, you know, okay, we do run into, um, you know, Kira having relationships uh, throughout the series and there are, you know, sometimes where she does run into um, former lovers and things like that. And I, I'm glad they didn't put that in this early in the series. You know, it's like sometimes you think, okay, are these characters not allowed to just have like platonic friendships? <laughs> Is right. everybody yeah. a, a potential romance? Um, so I liked that they were just fellow you know, resistance members. So I thought that worked better for the story as well, because it made it more of a focus on their beliefs and what they fought for rather than bringing a romantic relationship into it. Cause that would have just been another thing that they could have held over each other in these arguments. Yeah. It for sure takes like the, for lack of a better term, the soap opera element out and lets these characters be who they are. So you get to see another glimpse of who Kira was being a resistance fighter, her viewpoint versus uh, Tanalos and the Koma, even though the Kira is a resistance fighter, she knows them, knows that they produced results um, in the resistance um, against Cardassia, but also doesn't completely agree with him, but respects sort of respects what he's, what he does in that splinter group of, as she called it. So yeah, I agree. I'm glad that that was not a factor that they included in the script and that it was edited out. Yeah. I remember having those thoughts too, while watching this and being glad that, because at first, when he first beamed on board, I was like, Oh, he's going to be a former like boyfriend or something like that. <laughs> and then when that didn't happen, I was really glad because I really think that would have undermined her character quite a bit mm-hmm. in this episode. Or even if like mm. they became that while he was on board. I was glad that didn't happen either. Yeah. yeah. I really did like having uh, Admiral Rollman in there and that interaction of Kira not liking the result that she got. So she's going to go around Cisco straight to Starfleet Command and basically try to make sure that he does what she thinks is correct. And Starfleet Command... <laughs> turning around and contacting Cisco and go, look, what is going on on your station (laughs) that your first officer is interrupting meetings of mine? So basically, you know, get your house in a row. So, and so, yeah, it just, for me, that was a fun element, especially for Cisco not to immediately call her on it either. Um, Mm. 
for him to keep an eye on her and bring it up at a more, not necessarily appropriate time, but it was a, a appropriate for the moment. So yeah, the only thing that stood out to me, you know, a lot in that scene was that um, when the Admiral called Cisco back, she referred to Kira as that Bajoran woman that you have mm, working yeah. <laughs> for you, which I thought was really rude. <laughs> you know, I feel like she should have at least known she should have addressed Kira by her name and not that Bajoran woman. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It just had like a little bit of a, a slight to it. I, I think it was meant to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think she was like, all right, you need to control your minions here. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. But I just, I just felt, I don't know. I, I've just, in my head, Starfleet admirals, well, they tend to be jerks, don't they, on Star Trek? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of times, yeah. yeah. I just thought that they'd be a little bit more, you know, enlightened than that. It wouldn't be like that, but maybe not. Yeah, to me, it came across as uh, Admiral Rollman has a bit of a relationship already with uh, with Cisco, so at least a you know a professional friendship. So that's why she was a little more informal with him, I guess. Is she maybe who he answers to at Starfleet Command? Yeah, I don't know. All right. Well, at this point, Lursa and Beator board the station and have a secret meeting with Tana about a delivery. And Odo is kind of lurking in the background and overhears their conversation and warns Cisco that something's up. Then the Klingon sisters meet with Garrick and negotiate a payment for turning Tana over to the Cardassians. And Garrick finds Bashir again and tells him to come to his shop that night and buy a suit at a particular time. Akira informs Cisco that two more Konama are on their way to the station to also seek asylum with Tana. I loved having Lursa and Bator in this episode. I know they didn't have like a super prominent major role in this. Um, they weren't necessary for the plot to continue, but just to have them in this to help tie it into next generation because we don't, see them as often inside next generation as I would prefer. I'll enjoy these two characters. I think they're acted very well. And for me, like I, um, on TV here over the weekend, it was Thanksgiving recently. And we, um, had a Star Trek movie marathon that was on one of my local channels. And one of the movies was generations. So just to, to have seen that and then to see them and, reviewing this episode for the podcast. I was like, well, Hey, there they are. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, it was just, it was fun for me to see these two characters in a, a next generation tie in, which was needed. I did find it interesting that um, the moment that introduces the, those two characters on this episode um, kind of made me, my ears perk up because um, there is actually another podcast called the Duras Sisters Podcast, um, and it is um, hosted by two sisters who love Star Trek. And they actually used they use that sound clip of um, you know Odo coming up and saying, "All right, what's going on here?" And well, these two these two ladies you know have have come on the station and they're refusing to give up their weapons. That is part of the intro to the Duras Sisters podcast. So huh. uh, if you're looking for another podcast to listen to, uh, it's it's quite a good one. I thought it was kind of funny when um, 
Kira took Tana to his quarters and he mentioned that he can't wait to like sleep in a comfortable bed. And then they showed like this shelf basically for him <laughs> yes. to lay on with like multiple individual tiny pads. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's no way that's going to be comfortable. <laughs> I, my first thought was they must've developed some sort of material that makes that actually comfortable. Cause it doesn't look comfortable. Yeah, don't worry. We're going to have bedding brought to you later. <laughs> <laughs> it looks less comfortable than the bio beds in sick bay. Yeah. True. <laughs> Of which I think they found the worst woven blanket for that character to be draped with in the infirmary. <laughs> it's like semi-transparent. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I didn't even they, notice that. Could they not find a better blanket that doesn't look like it was homemade? <laughs> hey, I've seen some good homemade I have blankets too, now, but not anything that would be appropriate <laughs> to be in the infirmary on a Federation space station in the future. <laughs> I have to at least get the metallic blankets from. I was going to say the silver blankets. <laughs> yeah, although I have to say there are very, very few beds in Star Trek that actually look comfortable. Mm-hmm. So they have to be made out of some sort of material that, you know, is like memory foam 2.0 or something. Yeah, probably. That's just like. Sleeping on a cloud. The egg crate foam just flipped upside down. Well, I hope that they advance more than that in 300 years. (laughs) Honestly. Like memory foam 10.0 by that point. Yeah. (laughs) I want to say, though, with Lursa and Beator, for the first time, really, I think it may just be the passage of time with this, but their outfits bothered me in a way that they didn't used to. Maybe it was because I was just younger and just didn't care back then. But their boobs are just, like, right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> and I don't know. Like, it's just kind of – it's just that thing. It's kind of like Seven of Nine's outfit for me. You know, it's just the the them choosing to, you know, design the costumes where it, you know, sexualizes yeah. them. That, yeah. yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Yeah, so that just kind of, for the first time ever, rubbed me the wrong way while watching this. So mm. Now that's bothered me for years. <laughs> well, you know, I haven't seen them in years, so yeah. I can't remember the last time I saw them on screen. No, I always thought it was, was weird that it, it's kind of like those video games where... Like if you if you are playing a male character, he's got like full on plate mail, and then the female character's got some like skimpy leather bikini on. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah. It's n- obviously not to that extreme, but um, had the same kind of feeling to me. These two are full on warriors. They should dress like it. Yeah, it's just kind of like this hypocritical thing in Star Trek where they try to present these. You know, they tried it on one hand with like Janeway and Kira to present female characters a certain way, but then they do the exact opposite with some of them, you know? And so it's just kind of like, I get it. Like, I understand from a production standpoint why they did it, but at the same time, it's kind of like, I mean, I wish Star Trek was better than that too. So, Mm. also, I have a question. So, in this, um, we saw when Oda was eavesdropping on their conversation, on Lorsen Beator's conversation with uh, mm-hmm. Tana. Um, 
first first of all, when the rat showed up, I was like, how in the heck did a rat get on the space station? I, I was like, well, the I guess same it, thought. Yeah, I was like, well, maybe it took you know hitched a ride from some planet somewhere. Um, and then, it, of course, they turned into Odo, and I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But mm-hmm. um, does how does does Odo's brain keep functioning when he's like in these weird other forms? Because a rat's brain is obviously is not going to be able to understand human speech. From everything I've seen or heard or read, yes, he is aware in whatever form he's in. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, um, obviously he is because they made it out to be that way. But I'm just, I'm just yeah. thinking from like a. I mean, if you're if you turn into like a rock, mm-hmm. you know, is there a brain? Like inside that rock functioning, or is there just <laughs> like a, I don't know, it just, it just seems weird to me. Yeah. I, I think it's the concept of where essentially he's a liquid that is able to present a solid form. And so because his, his typical form is this liquid, there's not really like a center of consciousness or anything. So it's almost like every particle of him is a brain. I, I guess because he remains himself in whatever solid form he's projecting, mm-hmm. then that's how he's still conscious because he's still made of himself. Okay. I will say too, um, in looking at the production aspect of this, there was a very brief um, scene that was in, I think it was in this act. It may have been in the beginning of the next one with Kira, you know, starting to have maybe a little bit of doubts about the intentions of Tanalos. And so she is an ops looking into the intelligence files that Bajor has on the cone Ma. Um, and it's a very brief, maybe what, two second, three second over the shoulder shot Uh, looking at what she's looking at on the screen and I'll give a hand to the production um, aspect of it that I pause that and you're able to um, read this intelligence report. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So like I was super impressed by pausing that and reading it to see that it was like all information and not some kind of like weird acutogram that had, you know, just random stuff in it to make it look like something. Um, mm. like I was, I was very impressed by that when I paused that. Yeah. And it was multiple reports too. They had yeah. other, like different dates or whatever. So yeah, I'm assuming the writers are the ones that had to come up with that stuff. So that, yeah, they could have easily, because in standard definition, there's no way to make that out. Mm-mm. And yeah. And the, actually the version I was watching, I think was standard definition because I could make out some of the words, but I couldn't, it wasn't clear enough for me to read all of it. I don't know if they've redone ds9 and the hd stuff like they did tng but it, it may have been up converted um because okay. i watched this on my ipad so i was able to like i couldn't zoom in but i was able to, <laughs> to bring it up closer to my face instead of having to get on a tv and yeah it wasn't like super clear but it was clear enough to where you could you could read it okay mm. well i was watching it on like a i think my computer monitor is like a 2K resolution or something, so it it looked a little more blurry to me. But uh, yeah, I was I was also impressed 
that they took the time to do that. Okay, so moving on, Bashir overhears Lursa and Beator tell Garrick that they're delivering materials to Tana to make a bomb. Then he tells Sisko about the plot. It becomes clear that Tana still plans to commit terrorist attacks, and they come up with a plan to intercept the delivery of the bomb materials. Akira boards the runabout with Tana, and when she tries to stop him, he threatens her and forces her to go towards the wormhole. And any interference from Cisco, he'll blow up the shuttle, endangering the Bajoran colonies or collapsing the mouth of the wormhole to force the Federation and Cardassians to leave Bajor. However, he manages to be caught, and the bomb is safely detonated in space. And back on DS9, he's arrested, but he calls Kira a traitor to her people. Yeah, I will say that um, on that with Kira and Tana and the shuttle, and she, you know, forces their shuttle to actually go through the wormhole, um, and that struggle, and then we get on into the Gamma Quadrant on the other side of the wormhole, and. You know, Tana is trying to get to the button to actually launch and detonate this bomb. Like, they've, like, been through the wormhole. Like, <laughs> it's not like they just yeah. suddenly exited and he does that. They exit in time for that not to explode right there and collapse the exit point of the wormhole. But, like, did you not notice... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you went through the wormhole because it was like a, a significant amount of time before he manages to launch that and detonate it. And then he gets mad at her that it didn't work. Yeah. What? <laughs> I I noticed that as well. And I thought, I wonder if that was a a timing error in the editing or if that was scripted that way and nobody thought about it. Because, yeah, it's it's not like going through the wormhole is a subtle, right. unnoticeable happening. They get on the other side. He kind of looks at Kira, looks at some other stuff, and then reaches up and pushes the button. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, why did you waste that? <laughs> like, surely you so, noticed where you are. <laughs> and yeah. Why? Okay, let's say that you knew where you were. Why would you want to strand yourself <laughs> In the Gamma Quadrant. Well, I, I could see him being willing to collapse the wormhole on either side. You know, that would be his sacrifice for Bajor is, is probably what he would think. But, yeah, I I did kind of think, you know, wouldn't he realize that they're, they're facing away from the wormhole? Mm -hmm. If he jettisons the, the bomb as he planned, it's going to go forward, which is therefore away from the wormhole yeah. so it's gonna be useless yeah that was the only point in the whole episode that i went oh come on writers really <laughs> this is what we did oh yeah the only other one that caught me a little off guard and i think that was it's just me being a little confused is you know tana says that they're going to the the dark side of bajor 8's lower moon mm-hmm and then um, when Cisco says, okay, well, we're going to take a runabout out there and be ready to kind of intercept and stuff. We're going to go to the the far side of the second moon of Bajor 8. So I'm thinking they didn't make it clear enough that, like, are those, is he talking about the same moon? Right. Or, you know, he should say uh, the 
should they should have been the same kind of designation. Yeah. So say that, you know, Cisco and O'Brien are gonna go on the far side of the upper moon mm-hmm. um if Tana's gonna be behind the lower moon. Or, you know, say if Tana said we're gonna be behind the third moon, then okay, Cisco says we're gonna be behind the second moon. Um because to me it made it sound like they were gonna end up running into each other kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it so that eye. was the only other thing. It caught my eye too that, you know, with um, Cisco and O'Brien in the one shuttle and they get to where they're going to be. And he tells, you know, O'Brien to cut main power. And so you see mm-hmm. the exterior of the shuttle and it powers down um, to where you can't see any lights on the exterior of the shuttle. And then you go inside and it's just as bright <laughs> and normal yeah. as everything as it was before. I was like, hmm, I think they should have some, done something different there. To, to, yeah. Well, I, I also found it, I found it funny that um, O'Brien go, says, oh, it's dead quiet. Yeah. Meanwhile, it's like beep, 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 yeah, beep, yeah. beep, 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 beep in the background. I'm like, that's not dead quiet. <laughs> I was completely lost with what was going on with the whole bomb thing. I didn't know who ejected what and why and where they were and all of this stuff. Maybe it was the weird editing. I don't know, but I got completely yeah. lost. And so I just kind of went with it. I was like, okay, he just gets caught in the end. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, thought, I thought that it was weird Ed, before all of this happened when they were talking about the uh, terrorist plot in ops. Mm-hmm. I was like, should they be talking about this out in the middle of, of the station where the rest of the officers can hear what's going on? I feel like this should be like, in, if this was a TNG, it would be like a conference lounge conversation yeah. not in the middle of the bridge with everybody else you know they do so eventually to me. they do eventually in deep space nine get a meeting room to have those meetings in but i don't think that happens for a few seasons so it's yeah it's not unusual for them to be discussing everything there in ops yeah i i kind of assume that anybody who's got the clearance level to be in ops is probably trustworthy enough <laughs> i guess it just sounded like stuff that you wouldn't want lower ranking officers to overhear maybe yeah and the only other other um thing i wish they had done at the end of the episode was i felt like they cut it off where um kira's called a traitor and then that's it i feel mm. like there should have been a little cap there with um cisco saying something to kira yeah. So I I don't know. That just felt like a very abrupt ending to me. Yeah. Mm. It also felt like to me too that I know that Kira had she had to walk off the shuttle with the phaser in her hand because uh Tanalos wasn't handcuffed, it wasn't taken into custody until she got back on the station with him. But then like she just didn't know what to do with the phaser <laughs> after that. So as they <laughs> walk off down the hallway, you can just see her sort of kinda like just holding it down. What yeah. yeah, it's just like, oh people at least, you know, she could have handed that over to the security that was right there. Something. Mm. I didn't even know that she had that in her hands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have to say, like, I know I'm going back a little bit here, but we have to bring up the conversation between Kira and Odo when she's trying to decide what to do. Mm-hmm. I thought that was one of the strongest scenes in this episode mm-hmm. because it really brings up this, you know, gut level issues of loyalty and 
what that means and, you know, trying to fit your own values in and around situations because situations are always going to change, but, you know, you have to be true to your yourself and upholding what you believe to be right. And I just loved that whole conversation. I particularly loved the way it, they ended it. Yeah, agreed. With Odo just, you know, he calls Cisco and he says, you know, there's someone down here who wants to talk to you because he knows what choice Kira is going to make based on who she is. Yeah. Now, do Kira and Odo have a working relationship already? Yes. They, they well, worked on I mean, the station to, together? It's kind of weird because Odo worked there as head of security under the Cardassians, but because he had shown himself to be so fair under the Cardassians, they decided to keep him on because they knew he he what he stood for was not for the Cardassians or for the Bajorans. It was for what's right. Mm-hmm. So um, he he already had that reputation, and then you know Kira had worked with him enough. He'd obviously been folded into the the Bajoran forces, which is why he wears a Bajoran uniform. Um, so yeah, they they had an existing working relationship and knowledge of each other's background and and all that sort of thing. All right, so that was our discussion on past prologue. Now, we want to hear what your thought is on this episode, on the podcast, or on anything Star Trek. So the best way to get in touch with us is through our social media links. Uh, They are all down in the podcast episode description, but if you're looking for them directly, you can find us on Twitter at Triples Podcast. On Instagram, we have the Tribbles and Transporters uh, page there. And then we also have Facebook, a, a Facebook group and a page for Tribbles and Transporters podcast. If you want to get in touch with us directly, you, we also have a email address uh, that is uh, tribblesandtransporters at gmail.com. So we'd love to hear from you and uh, we may just read your comments out on the podcast. And with that, our next episode, we're going to be going to Voyager. We're going to be following all of these series kind of in chronological order. Um, And we're going to be watching Time and Again, which is maybe the third. Is it the third episode of Voyager or fourth? One of those two. And so this is what I've not seen before. This is actually an episode I really like. So I'm looking forward to this one. This is one of the episodes that I had on recorded off the television on VHS. Okay. <laughs> oh, wow. That dates me. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I've seen this episode many times. So it's, oh. it's one of my favorites on there. Okay. Well, then I look forward to it even more then. All right. Well, with that, we'll close out this episode of Troubles and Transporters. And we hope that you join us next time. Thanks for listening as always. Bye, Bye-bye. everybody. Bye.